Welcome to the Youth School Podcast, where we believe inside of everybody there is a great story waiting to be discovered and lived. This is the show where we guide you on your journey in discovering what your story could be. It's your life. Don't let anybody else write it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Youth School Podcast. This is your host, Scott Schimmel. Today, I'm excited to have a good friend on, and this is definitely a veteran episode, a veteran-oriented episode. Uh, JJ, welcome to the podcast, the U-School podcast. You're no stranger to the U-School world. Um, so I want to start off by just saying hello and asking you to tell us a little bit about you, and we're going to dive into your military background and what you're doing now in a minute. But tell us, like, give us, uh, where are you? What are you doing in the world? Um, who are you? Tell us your story a little bit. Uh, well, I'm JJ Selvig. I currently work with Team Rubicon as the training and development associate for the Clay Hunt Fellows Program. Basically, what I do is I work with the fellows <clears throat> and kind of help them make sure they hit the wickets that we set forth for them as far as the pro- programmatic aspect. And then any type of personal wickets that they may set out, some, you know, want to be better family men, some want to go to school. Uh, so I work with them on that and kind of help them through that transitional phase. Well, uh, today, as you guys are listening, you're going to have a very uh, homespun, low-down interview as I've got phones ringing and you're going to hear JJ's son in the background. We are, we are both in our home studios. JJ, where in the world are you, by the way? Uh, I'm living in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. And uh, does it still feel a little humid in Texas compared to, let's say, San Diego? Uh, no, it's, it's pretty dry out here, but it's starting to cool off. Um, unfortunately, it is PSL season. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's <laughs> Hashtag. spice latte season, <laughs> the bane of my existence, because <laughs> I don't understand the, the whole uh, obsession with pumpkin spice at all. Have you tried it? I have, and I don't, I still don't understand. It's like drinking a pumpkin pie. Why would you, why? I I don't get it. And then they add it and everything. It's very confusing. It's a phenomenon. That's for sure. Well, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode that you're taking us down. So I'm going to steer us back. And first I want to ask you a question about a question, because I'm about to ask you, why did you join the military? But first I'm curious as a veteran, what do you think of that question? Um, I think that it's an evolving question. I mean, by that, I mean the answer evolves. Um, And and it evolves with the person as they go through their service and even the time leading up to the service. Um, Okay. So if we were to have asked you the day that you're joining, why would, what would you have said? So JJ, why are you, why are you joining um, the military? I honestly don't remember the conversations. I have a horrible memory, but my family tells me that the reason that I, basically said that I wanted to join was I was looking to make the world a better place for my uh, oldest niece and my oldest nephew. Hmm. Okay. So altruistic, go getter, go change the world kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. As you look back now, does that answer jive with, as you look back on your story? I think, I think it does, but I think more so it evolved into this, uh, underlying sense of purpose that I had that, that I needed to serve that um, 
you know, that's what I was meant to do. So it kind of really more so evolved into the answer nowadays when people ask is, uh, why not me? Uh, I had the capabilities. I was not going to go to college. I would have flunked out probably halfway through my freshman year, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. And it just wasn't, school just wasn't for me. Um, yeah. So, you know, the path, all paths led to the, led to the military in one way, shape or form. Um, the branches changed as different influencers in my life came and went. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did you come from a military family, parents, grandparents? No, I come from a uh, educator family, uh, actually, Uh, very science driven. Uh, The only person that I know of in my family that served was my grandpa Mac, and he served in World War II. Okay. What do you think they thought of you joining military? They weren't happy. Um, I kept trying to get my parents to sign the papers when I was 17 and they refused. Really? My mom just wanted to say, you know, when I realized it was a mistake, I didn't want, they didn't want me to turn around and blame them. (laughs) Um, Smart. Obviously the conversations have changed since then. And my mom actually agrees with me that that was the best path for me. Hmm. Uh, School. It would not have been school. I would have been unhappy. Yeah. And probably Right now, I'd be working at Walmart, still living with my parents. So they're, they're quite <laughs> happy I joined the military. <laughs> That's interesting. The uh, the parent reaction to their kids joining the military. As I've talked to parents, especially in the last couple of years, and asking them asking them that question, what did you think? I, most of the time, I'd say ninety five percent of the time, I hear parents say something pretty similar. Like I was scared, or I was worried. Um, I was worried that they'd hate it. I, I was worried that they would feel like it was a mistake. Um, were, were your parents, do you think, were they, were they scared for your safety? Was that yeah. it? I, th- I, think that was, I think that was a large part of it. And, you know, on, on top of that, I think even though they didn't agree with it, I still think that, and I think most parents probably have it, that underlying sense of pride that their child wants to go hmm. serve, wants to go be part of something that they feel is bigger. And especially now considering the military is completely volunteer. Hmm. Um, I think that there really is that on top of the, the parental uh, protection is really what it is. And then they have that underlying sense of pride in their mm-hmm. child. Maybe could you dive into that a little bit more that just mentioning that the military is all volunteer now? What, what, it, why do you highlight that? Cause I think that's significant. I'm not sure if everyone really understands the significance of that. I think it's significant because it, it shows that in each generation, there's, there's a large portion that they want to make the world a better place, that they're not okay sitting on the sidelines. And, mm. you know, that couple that with the, you know, like I said, I work for Team Rubicon, so I, it's, it's a disaster relief organization. And I think mm. coupling that with now with the tremendous onslaught of natural disasters that the world is seeing, I think that really does highlight that because now we've not only do these individuals that joined the military and basically in a complete volunteer force, now mm-hmm. they turn around and they volunteer again to continue serving. And I think it just really highlights all of the good that uh, there is. You know, mm-hmm. we, we tend to focus on the bad. I think we really need yeah. to start focusing on the good that's out there and it's out there every day. You just have to look for it. Do you know off the top of your head how many people serve in the military currently? No, I do not. Is it hundreds of thousands? I, I'd venture a guess that it'd probably be right around there, yes. That's crazy. I mean, that's a, that's a very different perspective. Almost as though like, hey, we need a, we need a brand uh, refresh for the military, for the American public. Did you guys know that this is a group of young people that are deciding, like you said, to not be on the sidelines, to get in the game, make the world a better place? That's, that's extraordinary. 
when you think about it from that perspective. Tell us, could you, if you would, if you don't mind, give us a couple snapshots of what your service was like, like a couple little vignettes in the world of JJ. Uh, I was infantry. I was 0311, so I was a rifleman in the infantry, uh, basically kicked down doors, patrolled streets when I was in Iraq. Um, it, was, it was kind of a, a, a culture shock, you know, 18, brand new out in the world, nobody looking over me. Uh, I spent two years in Washington, D.C. on the Presidential Honor Guard. Uh, if you look at me now, it'll, it, it, if you look at me now, it'd be really hard to believe that I was a pretty boy for the Marine Corps uh, for two years. Um, Cause that's, that's what it was. It was two years of a dog and pony show. I marched, uh, I marched in funerals. I did firing parties for funerals. Um, some of the bigger parts of it was I marched in Reagan's funeral. Um, wow. As well as marched in president Bush's second inaugural parade. Really? And the world war II Memorial dedication ceremony. Dang. Um, historical events. Yes. That's cool. So, uh, it was, it was, it was interesting. Uh, and it was even more so interesting because for me, it was, it was really a conflict getting selected to go there. Well, it was great. And I know it put my family's mind at ease. Hmm. Everybody that I trained with was headed to Hawaii and they ended up going to Afghanistan and Iraq really kind of right up during that second surge through after the initial push. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, part of that was I did the Dover transfer team. So we took the transfer cases of the fallen Marines off the planes. And then our, our battalion commander would kind of read who it was. And every once in a while, uh, one of the guys mm -hmm. I trained with would be one of the one guys that I carried off. So it was really kind of an internal conflict wow. for me there. Wow. Eventually I got my wish and I got my orders out of, uh, Washington DC and ended up spending the next five years in, uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, okay. where I did, uh, two tours to Iraq and, <clears throat> was on the 22nd Mew uh, Special Operations Trained, where we had groups that did mass casualty evacuations and non-combatant evacuations. Um, mm. So that right there was really kind of my first foray into, into disaster relief, if you want to, if you want to mm. call it that. Um, Interesting. How did that all, and this is obviously maybe a very broad question, and this might be a dumb question too. How did, how did that all shape you? How did that, those five years impact you? Um, well, you know, there was, um, you know, to be crass, was, there's my mental stability was definitely affected. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do have PTSD from that. Um, I think really what it did was it, it forced, and, um, you know, I, I might be speaking for more than myself, but I think it forces you to mature more than you're ready. Hmm. Um, you know, that first initial, uh, pardon my language, but that first initial, oh shit moment yeah. kind of brings your mortality into question. Yeah. And that's usually not something that most people deal with until they're like probably in their late forties, early fifties. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of when you start to like, oh, oh, you know, mm. I am, a, I am a mortal. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a 21 year old, 22 year old kid, that's not something that you expect. Mm. Um, Cause you know, especially being in the Marines, you know, you go out there, you're wild, you're crazy. You go out and you have fun out in town on your, on your Liberty. And you're not really questioning whether or not like the adverse effects that that may have that, you know, something bad really could happen. Tragic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, going in, going into a combat zone, then you start to really have to, to deal with that. Yeah. You write your will and you make sure all that stuff's taken care of just in case something happens, huh. but it's still just in the back of your head as a just in case. And then that one moment happens and it's like, Oh crap, yeah. I actually am mortal. And then you're having to deal with something that, you know, uh, mentally, emotionally, physiologically, you're not ready for. 
And I think that's really kind of the best way to describe, you know, mm. the onset of PTSD. Uh, I think, and it's not just in the military members, it's in anybody that suffers mm -hmm. that because it's generally a really traumatic event. Mm -hmm. And most of those traumatic events will bring that mortality to the forefront of your head. And, you, and sometimes you're just not ready for that. Yeah. And your transition, what, tell us about that out of the military. So like I stated, I, I, I have PTSD. Um, what happened was, uh, I was at a rank where I couldn't continue my service. Uh, I was hitting what they call your service limits for your rank. Hmm. So I couldn't deploy with my unit that I'd been with for those five years. Mm -hmm. And I got transferred to another unit. Uh, because of my rank, they didn't believe that I could be in a leadership position, hmm. despite the fact that I'd already been in uh, combat zone twice, uh, held multiple leadership positions. And they stuck me in a fire team with somebody that had never deployed before just because he was uh, a rank ahead of me. Hmm. And so what that did was uh, I like had this, this tower and I was on a platform and I was safe because I was with people that had already been through it with me before and I mm. trusted them. So when that happened, it kind of, that tower just kind of collapsed and that's when I hit my free fall. Mm. Um, I ended up going uh, UA, which is unauthorized absence, uh, not my proudest moment, but mm -hmm. nonetheless it happened. Mm -hmm. And after about a month of living in a, living at a rest stop in between trips up to Virginia to see my girlfriend at the time and my two oldest kids. Hmm. Uh, I finally had a, a breaking point and I called my parents and told them what happened. My dad came out, um, parents being parents, despite me saying that I didn't want them to do that. Yeah. They got me a lawyer because they were afraid that like the military would try to charge me and throw me in, in prison for life because wow. I, I went UA and I was UA to a point where they considered it almost a deserter status. Um, hmm. So I talked to the lawyer I went and turned myself back in, and instead of actually dealing with the problem, uh, my unit just threw me in the brig, um, oh, wow. which is the, the brig is military vernacular for basically prison. Yeah. Um, and so what I went for was a separation in lieu of trial. So basically, I would get separated out of the Marine Corps without a trial um, and went through that. They made me see the prison psychologist. Okay. They got my diagnosis with PTSD. Uh, got out of the, the brig. How long were you in for? Uh, I want to say I was in there for a little over a month wow. while the process was taking place. It really isn't as bad as it sounds. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I worked in the chow hall. I served food. Okay. Um, went out, played, played volleyball in the sand or basketball. Huh. You know, like read all day. Actually, read Harry Potter, and the only reason was it was either Harry Potter or Twilight were the only books we really had in the library. So I read Harry Potter. You never um, read Twilight? No. I've seen the movies, though. It's not bad. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, the, when, you, when you get PTSD or when they say that you have signs, you get a sheet of paper and they say you can either accept help or you can refuse it. They recommend that you accept help. Okay. So I went ahead and I was like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's, let's get this over with. So I circled that I wanted help. Well, instead of anything get being done, I was given my 10 day letter, which means I had 10 days left in the Marine Corps before wow. I was, I was out. So that's what led up to my transition. Um, so when I got home, I was angry. I, I was, I was upset. I was, mm. You know, I was mad at the Marine Corps for kicking me out. Um, 
I was mad at my family for God knows what. I really don't understand why mm-hmm. I was angry with them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was mad at myself for getting myself into this situation where now I have an other than honorable discharge, which I know everybody looks upon as like this horrible thing. Um, if they don't really understand like the discharge grades that you get when you get out of the military, they, yeah. they just I'm basically this screw up and uh, pretty much just became an alcoholic for uh, a couple of years. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> spent all my time in the bar. You know, I'd grab odds and end jobs here and there just to be mm-hmm. like a functioning adult. You know, at one point in time, I was making seven twenty-five doing security in the worst part of Dallas, Texas with no wow. insurance because that's the job I could get. Wow. Um, and then kind of like, so I, I tried to take it on by myself and it really wasn't working. Um, then I got a, a text message during this uh, period that uh, my corpsman had committed suicide and being an alcoholic, I basically mm-hmm. numbed all emotions. Like I had none, zero. Um, mm-hmm. But when I found that out, it was like the first real moment that I, I felt emotion again. And I literally collapsed. It's like the first time you feel something, it was just like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and so then I, and then I looked uh, for more to do I, I, to pull myself out of it. Um, and that's when I had found Team Rubicon. Um, hmm. I'd found it before that uh, and not really drunk the Kool-Aid, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. But after that moment, um, I really knew that it, that something needed to give. Hmm. What did Team Rubicon do for you? Getting involved? Um. Well, it ma- it made me see that I wasn't a complete screw up. You know, I still had plenty to give, but hmm. on top of that, it gave me people that understood what I was going through, and they didn't care. They didn't care about my discharge. While they were interested in the story, that didn't change the way that they perceived me. Um, they still saw me as that as a guy that could still, um, you know, as part of our as one of our wonderful uh, <laughs> cultural values is in TR is they saw me as somebody that could still get shit done. Yeah, yeah, kick down doors, lead. Yeah, seriously, because the theme of the month we have for you school is squad goals and the idea behind it is it's it's deep authentic friendships where you feel like you belong to them you feel known by them you feel actually uh, dependent upon them as much as we talk about independence self-reliance we found that people who report having lives full of meaning and joy and purpose and happiness all say my relationships are the most meaningful part and so it seems to me hear you pick up on that what do, you, what do you think about that? And maybe to expand the aperture a little bit, when you think about veterans transitioning, where do you think connection, friendship, what role does that play? Uh, I think it probably plays the most important role. <clears throat> and I say that because it, it gives you that, that support network. It's very easy to slip into uh, the darkness if you're on your own. Um, as much as we sit there and you know, try to say that, oh, we're big, bad veterans, you know, we can do anything. The reality is we can do anything as long as we have the right people uh, mm. with us. And, you know, to, to quote uh, Admiral, Admiral McRaven, you know, mm. in, in his uh, commencement speech that he gave at UT, he talks about these, 
things that he learned in SEAL school. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them is, uh, you know, find somebody to paddle with you um, in order to achieve your goals. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. I think it's something that, that gets lost in the shuffle of things because we don't think about it that way. We think about letting people in and letting people be a part of our lives and understand some of the, you know, darker secrets that we may hold. We see that more as a weakness, whereas the reality of it is, is that it's a, it's a strength and it's probably one of the strongest things that you'll ever be able to do. Hmm. It's interesting too, because from the outside looking in, having never been in the military, you get put into close relationships, proximity, Obviously, you don't have to necessarily like each other, but describe your experience of those relationships and bonds and friendships with the people that you served with. Uh, they're, they're, they're really, they're unbreakable. I mean, um, I can call up or message anybody that I, was, that I was in my unit with and we can pick up like it was yesterday. Um, mm. And they're people that also understand what you went through. And I think that's important. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that really leads to the isolation after you take off the uniform mm -hmm. is that you're afraid that if you go and talk to anybody about it, um, they're not going to understand and they're going to judge you. Um, mm. And so you don't. So you just isolate yourself because you really feel like you're the only one that'll understand when the reality is, is that there's troves of people out there that'll understand. You just have to, you have to find them. Mm. What advice do you have for veterans who are transitioning or maybe they've already separated and they find themselves in a, in a, in a tough spot, a tight spot, feeling stuck. At, at first, first I would say is probably try, try to reach out to your, anybody in your old unit. Um, hmm. first and foremost, just because they're going to be the ones that have the most understanding. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and that, you know, find, find a veteran group or, or, you know, even go to the VFW and just sit there and listen to the stories. I guarantee you that it'll pull you out of, it'll pull you out of your shell because even though, the wars are different. Uh, the end goals of the wars are different and the end results are completely different. The stuff that everybody goes through mm -hmm. transcends all the generations. They've all been there and they've done something similar. Mm -hmm. um, so find those people and, and try to build that for a lack of better term tribe mm -hmm. that will help you get through everything. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned your work uh, with Team Rubicon. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience with the U School and how it currently and continuously partners with what you guys are doing. So, like I had mentioned before, I work with a I work in the department that's the Clay Hunt Fellowship Program within Team Rubicon, and you know we use U School uh, during our self discovery phase in the program. And what that does, one of the big key components, well, two of them are you find a professional advisor that you're going to go through this with but we also pair you up with a swim buddy. So it's somebody that's in your cohort that's going through it with you. Hmm. And, you know, moving from being a fellow and going through it to now being a full-time employee and working with fellows going through it, the, the biggest thing that they talk about and one of the, probably one of their most favorite parts that most of the fellows, you know, have talked to me about is, is that swim buddy aspect. Um, it's hmm. now their best friend. Um, yeah. I still check in with my swim buddy. We probably talk about once a month, just check in, see how everything's going. And it, it's just this like habitual thing. Like, you know, you're wondering what's going on with them because what U school does um, is it, it takes you through moments in your life, whether it's uh, successes or failures. And sometimes it's really dark. Other times it's really light, but that, that 
swim buddy of yours goes through it with you as well. And then you learn so much about each other. It just creates almost like a bond that you would on the battlefield. It's just a different kind of battlefield. It's the emotional uh, battlefield mm-hmm. and the battlefield of self-discovery that you're going through with this person with. Hmm. Do you remember what you first thought about you when you heard about it? Uh, I just wondered what the hell it was. It sounded <laughs> It's like, uh, now I have to go through a whole nother school. Like, uh, a school's not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) What do you hope happens uh, for the Clayon fellas? What do you hope happens um, as they go through the program, but also imagining the future of the fellowship program? What are you hoping it turns into? What are you hoping the legacy is? I I really, uh, you know, the legacy I really hope is the self-discovery portion because I think that that is a, a, a very important component of it. And I think that's what helps the back half, which is where we have them work on capstone projects that, uh, well, that could possibly be implemented into the organization in the future. And the reason that I think that it, it really helps that is because it, U school really did for me, at least it married the, uh, pre-military me with the military me with the post-military me and Mm. kind of created one individual. There's all underlying themes across the three, but I had no way to put them all together. And that's really, that, that's what I got out of U school. But you know, the caveat to that, that I'll add is that doesn't mean that that's what the next person that goes through gets out because Mm -hmm. that's, that's the greatest thing about U school is that each individual ends up getting something different out of it, even though we're all going through the same thing because you get out of it, what you need, what you're searching Mm. for, because you're putting in that time and effort in the different exercises within the program that you're getting what you need out of it by putting yourself into it. Mm. That's cool. Uh, last question. Cause I know you're now quite the reader. What's on your bookshelf right now? Um, right now, <laughs> uh, the ones that are at the top are the talent code by Daniel Coyle, uh, the Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott, and I'm reading The Road Back to You, which I don't remember who wrote that, but that's uh, based on the Enneagram, mm-hmm. uh, understanding the Enneagram. Very cool. Did you ever get to Twilight? Not yet. No. I don't <laughs> think I ever will either. <laughs> well, JJ, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for your friendship with me partnership with you school and thanks for what you're doing for veterans uh not just sharing your story but also as you're coaching them walking through life with them establishing uh helping them reestablish what authentic connection looks like you're you know this you're saving lives you're helping lives be put back together and so we're so honored to know you be a friend with you so thank you thank you for having me Thank you for tuning into the U-School podcast. We want you to know about our brand new LifeScript course. Our flagship program that we offer is now available in a digital environment on our website. The course is designed to help anyone who is in a period of life transition to reflect on the big questions that matter the most. Questions like, who am I? What's my story? What do I believe in? What kind of person do I want to become? What's my mission in life? How can I best contribute? And who do I belong to? The digital course has been designed to be intuitive and deeply human. You will recruit your own team of life advisors to track with you the entire time you engage in self-reflection, giving you the feedback and support you need to write a great story for the next chapter. 
Just go to theuseschool.com and if you sign up, use the promo code PODCAST10 to get $10 off the list price. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T and the number 10. Remember, you only get one life. Make sure your life reads like a great story.